0: Welcome back to the big program. Coming up to 10 o'clock in Edmonton, looking for a high of six degrees. Man, weather's great again. Golfed yesterday. Can you believe that? Went golfing, played nine holes at Terra Pines. It was outstanding. Had a lot of fun. It was pretty tough to put the old pig in the ground, though. (laughs) It was pretty frozen. It was tough to do that. Oilers in Vancouver tonight, trying to get things back on track. 2-7-1, first 10 games of the season. The Vancouver Canucks, probably one of the surprises so far at 8-2-1, and one, as we are just getting hooked up with Ben Scrivens, former Edmonton Oiler goaltender, former Spruce Grove Saint, and part of our puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire right now during the Road Ready sales event. You can save up to $225 on select tires and a bonus of $50 off any service until December 16th. Book your appointment at com. Some restrictions apply as we welcome in the former Spruce Grove Saint, Ben Scrivens, Scrivy. Welcome to Sports 1440. Good
1: morning. Good morning. How you doing?
0: Oh, second best day of my life, big fella.
1: I love to hear it. I, I'm sure that I have nothing to do with that, but
0: Oh no, you do, because every time I talk to you I think about the time you toe dragged me about ten times at alumni hockey.
1: <laughs> you got you gotta narrow it down. You know, that you
0: have a for a goaltender when you play out, you do have some moves. Is that well oh,
1: thank you. I appreciate that.
0: I mean, did you play out lots before you were in goal or what like tell us how you kind of yeah. got that going.
1: Not really. I, I actually sucked a lot when I was a kid that, that would help uh um shepherd me into into the crease and, and help uh start my career in, in minor hockey was the the tom song pre novice years when everybody gets, you know, ten or twenty goals. I think I had one and it went off a skate or something like that. So I was, I was never uh I was never offensively gifted. Um, I started playing men's league once I got back, uh, uh, once I retired and and finished with my master's and all that, and and was looking to to stay in shape uh, a little bit more than I was doing in retirement, Hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm not the first goalie to do it, but uh, it is a different game, playing a net in in men's league or or, uh, some of the lower levels, and it's... uh, you know, kind of a lose-lose situation for for most goalies who played at high levels. So, uh, it's it really is just a different sport. It's fun to try and uh, develop new skills, and uh, there's a lot of trial and error, and a significant amount of error <laughs> in my game.
0: You, uh, ha- you have you have mastered the toe drag, though, Scrivvy.
1: I try, I've i seen it at work. I've seen a lot of good guys do it to people around me. And so, like everything else when I play, I know what I should be doing. It is the execution. It's an operator error thing.
0: <laughs> ben Scrivens, our guest on Sports 1440. When you were touching on your master's, so you went to Cornell. What were you yeah. taking there? And then so did you finish the master's up just recently?
1: Uh, so I was uh, basically in a hospitality business program um, when I was at Cornell. Uh, Cornell, there. It's uh, they have uh, a school called the Hotel School, so it's a uh, uh, business program, but all of the case studies and, and casework is, is focused on the hospitality industry. Um, you have a couple specialized courses like restaurant mm-hmm. operations and hotel operations and stuff. Uh, my sister actually graduated from the same school. She's a um, uh, an industrial real estate broker here in Edmonton, so a lot of different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Divergent paths once uh, once you graduate, but uh, after uh, or I guess during my career, I started taking courses during the summers. uh, Mm -hmm. Started taking psych courses. Uh, It turns out I wish I would have done that as an undergrad, but uh, ended up going. uh, I was living in Denver during my off seasons um, and went to uh, to school there. I got my master's in social work and uh, graduated in uh, in twenty twenty.
0: Hmm, Cool stuff. Ben Scriven's with us on Sports 1440. So you've done work with Oilers Plus, you've done intermission work, you've done some analytical work analyzing these games uh, for the Oilers in years past. What is your take on what's going on with this team right now?
1: You know, I I wish I had had watched a few more games before coming on uh, today. I've I've kind of had a busy start to the season uh, personally, so mm-hmm. uh, I've seen probably two or three. I was at the Jets game, um, sitting in in the alumni kind of seats there, and watched a, a couple on TV. But mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they're. They're a good team. I think the challenge they have right now, uh, in part, is uh, the, the supporting cast not quite uh, doing enough. You look mm-hmm. at, at the quality teams around the league. Um, you have your superstars that produce, uh, but you, you, you're not reliant on them to do it night in and night out um, in in all facets, right? Like, you, McDavid is undoubtedly the best player in the league, mm-hmm. and to have him, you know, produce at a, a two-point-per-game pace is, I mean, wishful thinking, but also within the realm of possibility. But that still only gets you two goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need you need these guys, uh, young guys, to step up. You need guys who are on entry-level contracts to be producers. You need guys who are uh, going into contract years to, to, have the, to put up the types of numbers that uh, earn them higher paychecks and unfortunately you you lose some of those guys like they're really missing claim costs in this year mm-hmm. um you know to have bukestad back would have been would have been fantastic uh instead so you gotta you know refill from the cupboards within and it's taken uh some of those guys just a, a little bit longer to to find their stride but you know you need the holloways and you need the mcleods and you need um, you know, I guess Gagne coming back, you need those guys to, to be chipping in and producing, not a point per game, but you know, point every other game, you know, point every third game. And, and that, uh, is a bit elusive at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but- you also are going to have some regression from a power play, the mm-hmm. best power play yeah. the league has ever seen. Uh, also, I mean, the number of third period goals they scored last year, unheard of, um, you know, you're you're gonna just have some regression back to what is, you know, the true accessibility. They're still gonna have a fantastic power play, but you know, you kind of lean on those two aspects last year, um, and when they dry up or or hit a bit of a rough patch, and you don't have the rest of your game to then you know fill out that balance piece, you know, it just it just means that when you make a mistake and it ends up in the back of your net, you know, it's a bigger hill to climb.
0: Ben Scrivens is with us on Sports fourteen forty. Even in your limited games that you've watched, Scrivey, a lot of the talk this year has been about defensive structure, defensive systems, what the Oilers are trying to employ there. What have you seen in, in that sense moving forward with this team, what they've been trying to do defensively?
1: yeah i mean uh, i I haven't spent a whole lot of time dissecting any of the um the actual systems play are they doing this are they you know are they playing a man on man are they are they folding over in zone but at the end of the day like just as a base level uh truth of the game you need defensive structure and then you need to support each other on breakdowns right Mm -hmm. Uh, every team i've played on uh you they use kind of like a the layered system right so you have one guy going and forcing the puck taking time and space away making the offensive player have to make decisions with reduced space and time um obviously when you play an aggressive uh style of game you know you catch edges. You bounce off guys. It's an, it's an imperfect. Uh, you know the game is just so dynamic. Yeah. The breakdowns happen. When those breakdowns happen, you need that support to kind of fall underneath. Um, and that can that can be where the challenge comes, right? It's you need to trust the guy beside you to do his job. Uh, Because if you start, if you don't trust him and you start leaking over to to assume he's going to get beat and then, um, you know, step in and now all of a sudden your assignment is only half done and the guy beside you on the other wing is not trusting that you're, and, you know, it's pretty, pretty quick that that house of cards falls apart. But, um, you know, truthfully, you know, the... The, they're not getting blown out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not watching the San Jose Sharks playing at <laughs> at, at Rodgers, right? Like, this team is still good. They have, obviously, the two best players in the league. They got two capable goaltenders. I'll live and die on the hill that you don't need... Uh, you know, a Hall of Fame All Star goaltender to win a Stanley Cup like that is mm-hmm. uh, an absolute. In my mind, yeah, it would be great to have him. Uh, but when you have a salary cap era and and yeah. your guy is commanding the money that they're commanding, if they're that that All Star caliber guy, you know, you're just they're going to have to make up for deficiencies in other areas of the game. And if you don't have that balanced uh, that balanced team approach, it makes it really hard to win the whole thing. So. Their goaltending, I think, is more than capable to win a to mm-hmm. win a cup. Um, I know there's people out there that, that will roll their eyes at that, but like mm-hmm. I think Skinner's, uh, you know, more than capable. He's he's developing into uh, or has the capability to develop into that uh, Hellebuck uh, style of play. Obviously, Hellebuck is a perennial Vesna candidate. Uh, so I don't know, who knows how far, how high. Uh, who's uh, ceiling is, but he certainly has that trajectory in him, just with his body and the way that he moves and, and his style of play. And, uh, you know, Campbell is a guy that brings out the best in his teammates, and that is an intangible, but not every, it's something that I never had, that's for sure um and so you know Campbell's been around he's played at every level uh his determination to to play and to play well um you know suits him as a battler in this in this league and um you know obviously there's strong arguments to be made about you know other goalies being maybe more technically sound or more skilled but you know these two guys i mean again they have enough uh goaltending pedigree to to Hmm. win a cup especially in a platoon system so um it really comes down to like this whole team game right do they get a a big save when they need it to kind of stop the bleeding Does the power play come through when they're you know down by a goal or or when they're up by a goal and need that breathing room uh do they start making a little better a little better decisions with the pucks uh and and not you know the the costly turnovers that end in the back uh, end up in the back of your net know, all of these things are are so tough to mm-hmm. to respond to because the breakdowns are almost like one offs. And so you're yeah, it, it can so, be a real challenge to like retroactively fix the problems for the future because the new problems are going to be different, right? So it it really gets down to that structure and and trusting each other Mm -hmm. and and playing in a team system that uh, allows everybody to trust each other on the ice that they're going to do their job, but in the case of a breakdown, that support is is there and, and ready to... Um, you know, kind of pull a little bit harder on on their end of the rope.
0: But I I look at it, Scribby, though, as Ben Scrivens is our guest on Sports 1440. So, Stu Skinner eight sixty one save percentage. Jack Campbell's eight seventy three goals against three sixty two for Skinner. Campbell's at four five zero. I mean, how mm-hmm. how can we say that the the goaltending is good enough right now?
1: It's not good enough right now. I mean that, but they're. But what area of their game is good enough right now? Zero. And <clears throat> I'm I'm not, um, again I'm not sitting here saying that these two guys are going to carry us to a cup. Maybe maybe that happens. But like they've both proven that they're capable enough to win games, capable enough to make big saves, and capable enough. To give consistent goaltending, um, they're not doing it right now, mm-hmm. right? Like they're going to admit that there, there's nobody around that's going to say that these guys are playing well enough. But uh, to to say that, I don't know. Obviously, there's some of my own bias coming yeah, into it, right? Get you uh, on one on one hand, if I'm saying that you don't need. An all-star goalie to win a game, you can have satisfactory goaltending, you know, to win and to win on a big scale. That also means that you can't place it all on the goalie, right? You can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. You can't need an all-star and then blame everything, or if you need an all-star goalie, then you can blame everything on the goalie. But if if you are fine having. A four-string guy like Aiden Hill, right? Yeah. More than capable of of playing, but like nobody saw him as that before it happened. Jordan Binnington, same thing. He was a guy that started in the AHL, right? Like they've uh, you can go down the list of Stanley Cup winners in the past, you know, fifteen years. You've got a couple outliers. Vasilevsky, obviously is like a perennial all-star, but his first cup run was not. He wasn't recognized as that. Uh, absolute stud at that point. It was like mm-hmm. only subsequently did, did he earn that. Jonathan Quick, different caliber, you know, he's winningest uh, American goalie. But then you got a bunch of other guys who, you know, are adequate goalies, right? And and uh, with that, the requirement then becomes to, are we, are we pointing fingers at a, a single position or are we pointing the fingers collectively at ourselves as a team? And I think that's where the Oilers are at right now. They have... Enough of the pieces to be competitive. They are underachieving, undoubtedly, but they know that, and and no no one's trying to shy away from that. Uh, It comes down to like a little bit more in each category, Um, goaltending included, right? Those, I mean, save percentages have to come up. They got to make a few more saves, um, you know, and and that, you know, that is the work that they need to do in in that uh, facet of the game.
0: Scrivy, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the game tonight. What, what's keeping you so busy? Tell our listeners what you what you're doing right now that that you're just swamped.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm just in. I'm just to say I'm swamped is one thing. It's. Uh... Um, you know, I, I'm, I love hockey. Hockey has provided so much for me. It also was work for a long time, right? Like, I don't know too many mm-hmm. accountants who come home and put on a podcast and, and work on their Excel stre- spreadsheets <laughs> for fun, right? So um, th- there is a, a time and space for me to, uh, you know, to, to distance myself from the game and make sure that um, I'm enjoying the time with my with my kid, um, enjoy the time with family and friends mm-hmm. that uh, you miss out on. Uh, a lot when when you're playing, right? Missing Mm -hmm. out on Thanksgivings and holidays and and New Year's Eve and all that sort of stuff um, is stuff that you really crave. So uh, very fortunate to, in retirement, have more opportunity to to be uh, uh, proactive and and, uh, uh, intentional about where Mm -hmm. I spend my time.
0: Well, thanks for spending your time with us this morning. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to make this the second second best uh, day of your life.
0: <laughs> thanks, Scribby. Take care, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: take care. You too, That's Ben Scribbins, uh, brought to you by Fountain Tire. For our puck report, head to FountainTire.com to check out their winter tire lineup and brand offerings. Uh, thanks to Ben Scribbins for coming on. When we come back, we will uh, check in with Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. Man, oh, man, it was a big game last night, that Raptors game with the— uh, uh, the Spurs, overtime. We'll talk about that. Uh, interesting dynamic going on in the in the NBA. Uh, that's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Just waiting to check in with Steve Ashburner from NBA.com as the Raptors had a, well, that was an exciting, eventful game against San Antonio. Victor Wembenyama and the Spurs hosted uh, the Raptors for the first time. 19 years old man this guy is fun to watch wonder if he can how many games he can play this year they always talk about load management and things like that with young players in the nba even coming out of college even if you're there for you know coming in as a 21 22 year old they seem to kind of shelter players a little bit more in the nba but Man, this was a game that went to overtime last night. One twenty-three, one sixteen. The Raptors had a—you could call it a shaky first half, I guess—if they were down twenty-two points in the first half. But now the Raptors, with the the victory, one twenty-three, one sixteen, in overtime, improved to three and four on the season, and their four-game road trip uh, continues in Dallas on Wednesday. So Spurs fell to three and three with the loss. But Victor uh, Wembanyama, man. It's just exciting to see a young player do so many things in the league at such a young young age, 19 years old. Uh, Scotty Barnes was outstanding, put the team basically on his shoulders in the fourth quarter, was great, 30 points, 11 boards, and he had a couple steals too. He was very good. He was very, very good. And I think we have uh, lined up Steve Ashburner from NBA.com as we uh, welcome in Steve to Sports 1440. Steve, you're with Kevin Carrius on Sports 1440. Thanks for coming on. Good morning.
2: Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah, doing great, doing great. We were just talking about the Raptors game against uh, San Antonio. Just your thoughts on that game because... You know, obviously, we are focusing on the Raptors a lot in Canada here. But what what did you think of uh, the game yesterday with Victor uh, Wembanyama and the Spurs uh, had a lead, and Toronto came back and and pulled one out.
2: Yeah, comebacks are always nice, and uh, to be able to uh, extend that game five minutes and and make that happen, uh, I think that's a good thing for the Raptors. I mean, I, I'm not sure what to make of that team yet. Mm-hmm. I, I probably had higher expectations than a lot of the people in our mm-hmm. business. Um, but that might be based on, you know, recent history more than current makeup. I saw them in Chicago during the first week of the season, and, um, you know, it seemed to me they miss, if not Fred Van Vliet particularly, they miss, you know, a reliable point guard. Um, They've got talent, though, Mm -hmm. and um, they should be able to defend. So, you know, those are two things that – you know, should at least uh, have you in the conversation for the playoffs. So I guess, um, but that game yesterday, I mean, look, Wemignyana, uh, I think every game he's going to play this season is going to be an event. Mm-hmm. Maybe when he goes into a city for the the second time, but even then, you know, I mean, the only people that are going to be overexposed to him are in San Antonio, and they can't be overexposed. They, they love this. So, um, you know, to be able to deal with, maybe that shock and awe factor of seeing this kid and how versatile and how good he is. And, um, and then, you know, prevailing because he is, after all, a rookie and the team mm-hmm. around him is, is uh, definitely very green. Um, so that's good. I just don't think we're at any point to make any conclusions one way or the other on the Raptors. Mm-hmm.
0: Why do you think that is Steve is, is it because it, you mentioned with Van Vliet not there I mean Schrader's come in and maybe taking a little bit of that load off Is maybe it you're like a lot of people then you're just not sure of their identity right now
2: Yeah and and I think we've seen both the upside and the downside of that sort of redundant um uh, physical nature of the 6869 lanky guys you know big wingspan it's just I don't know. That's ideal for positionless basketball, but I'm not so sure that the NBA hasn't moved, you know, away from that a little bit. I mean, you know, you need the point guard and, and and Schroeder is, is good. Mm -hmm. Um, He's certainly over, overachieved in the world cup Um, back in the NBA. Now, I mean, he, he, he's terrific. He's, he's, you know, a tremendous defender and he's playing with utmost confidence. He's at the peak of his powers. Uh, But, you know, I think I think you still need to have more of a gradation in your in your lineup. And I'm not sure that the shooting, the outside shooting is Mm -hmm. enough to uh, to hang with, you know, many of the more proficient teams in that area.
0: Steve Ashburner from NBA.com is our guest on Sports 1440. Steve, what have you made of Victor Wembanyama in the early going here? Can you compare him coming into the league with another player in recent memory?
2: Well, I know people, I've seen things like on social media in the last few days about Shaq, you know, because so many NBA fans, they recall Shaq, um, you know, and I, I mean, that's a while ago, but at least at least there are enough that recall Shaq when he came in as a rookie in 92. Um, you know, I'm old enough to go back to Kareem when he came in as Lou Sindor, yeah. and I was a young Bulls fan growing up in Chicago, Rooting for the pre-Michael Jordan Bulls. I mean, he came in in '69, so that was quite a ways before Michael. But they had good teams in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They would win 50 games and and hit a wall in the playoffs. But they had their aspirations. And when Cinder came in as a rookie, I was a pretty young guy, but I, I was. I just remember, you know, telling a friend or my father or somebody, I don't know how anybody's going to beat this guy. <laughs> I mean, that that hook shot was. You know, clockwork, and he was so tall and and it just seemed that nobody could could block that shot, challenge him um and, and you know I have a little bit of that feeling, uh, a little bit of deja vu with weminyama mm-hmm. that um this is unlike not just players many of us have seen, but unlike anybody that these his you know his rivals have played against, and you know it's a it's a whole new. Uh, situation when you 've got a guy what is he seven three seven four and he 's got a handle and he 's got uh, the ability to shoot from outside i do i do want to see him assert his height more near the rim, uh, mm-hmm. particularly on offense, just because you can play out on the floor you know you kind of give up your height advantage if you're if you're out on the perimeter um, you know you can draw yeah you draw the other big men out but You know, at that point, it's sort of uh, they're out of uh, their element anyway. So, you know, I just I want to see him play Mm 7-4 as well as he plays with all his skills, his versatility. But it's 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 incredibly intriguing. I write a weekly rookie rankings that begins on Wednesday and then runs every Wednesday Mm -hmm. on our site, NBA.com. And I got to be honest, I mean, I want to find players to challenge him for that number one spot in the rankings. I want to find a legitimate contender for rookie of the year, not named Gwen Benyama. It's going to be a challenge. I mean, he may he may go wire to wire, and and everybody else is competing for number two.
0: He's definitely a rare talent for sure, as we guessed with Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. Steve, do you think that there's a possibility, a strong possibility, that Greg Popovich sort of shelters Weminyama in the future here in this first season to kind of, you know, you know, playing time, game, load management and and things in that matter?
2: I fully expected that, but I'm not so sure now. I think the more he shows he can uh, he can handle um the the longer any leash on him becomes. I mean, I covered a coach in Minnesota for a long time named flip saunders i don 't know whether he originated this or he just shared it. it 's a coaching you know bromide, but it's like you give players as much responsibility as they can handle and the more that Wemidiyama shows he's capable of handling and he's been particularly good in clutch situations now, i don 't expect San Antonio to. Lead the league in clutch opportunities because you know their team is not the strongest. So those those the point differential by the by late games should be more uh, significant. But if you if you know he put him in against Phoenix um, with less than three minutes left in a five point game and Wembenyama um, you know he scored a couple of buckets, he put them in position. They won that game. So if he's able to play those minutes, he's he's really capable of playing any minutes. And aside from some back-to-backs, perhaps um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't even, I don't even think Popovich is inclined to, um, you know, keep his his opportunities too short. I mean, I, you know, you expect a kid to have you know some sort of an injury. His frame suggests at some point he's going to get off kilter and and knock down or step on someone's foot or whatever it is. But um, no, I thought I thought he would be way more restricted uh, in in playing time than he has been.
0: Steve Ashburner, NBA.com, is our guest on Sports 1440. Steve, can you kind of explain this in-season tournament, the intricacies, how it works uh, in just a kind of a Coles Notes version, please?
2: Well, one thing I notice people being confused about, these are regular season games. All right. They are that. And this in-season tournament format is sort of overlaid on top of that. So when you play a team on a Tuesday night or a Friday night, those games count in the regular 82-game standings. The only game that won't count is the championship game for two teams. That will be their 83rd game. It won't be calculated into playoff positioning, final records, anything like that. Everything up until then. It can be an in-season tournament game, and it can be a regular season game. Now, you're in groups of five, so there's six groups of five. Those were basically randomly drawn based on uh, the way they filtered according to last season's uh, one-loss record. Mm-hmm. But so, and, and within each conference, so they'll play these four tune-up games, one against each team, and, and they really, it, they didn't put any time or effort into, well, is that going to be on the Raptors court or the mm-hmm. Raptors going to be on somebody else's court and I think they each get two home games but you know in terms of who you play at home and who you play on the road it's a little tough to pull off yeah. with just four games. Once you get to the end of four games the teams with the best record in each group advance to the um, quarterfinal round along with two wild card teams <laughs> one from each conference <laughs> yeah. everything stays in conference until the very end you,
0: you
1: know,
2: and the quarterfinals are played in the, the the one of the teams host cities, generally the team with the advantage in the little group standings, and then for the semifinals, two games, four teams, and the finals, that's held in Vegas on the uh, on the seventh and the ninth <laughs> of December.
0: You know, it's almost Steve like you got to be Matt Damon from Goodwill Hunting to figure this thing out. Is <laughs> you know, has the league overcomplicated this, or what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think it's it's especially complicated because it's new and, you know, you, you have to, before you even tackle the logistics of it, you have to get over the notion of why. And I think it, it reduces to simply they want more interest in November and early December games. They feel like those are the games that get stepped on. People aren't necessarily plugged in yet. You've got holidays approaching um you're fighting with the national football league on on you know so many nights now i mean uh you know thursday sunday and monday for sure and then they they throw some saturday games in there and i think um you know late in the year so i think the the nba is just trying to generate some might be you know it's going to be artificial uh, certainly early on and unless this thing you know develops some tradition and and, tra- and traction but, you know, generate some little extra, extra whatever. And that they, so they've got teams wearing different uniforms. They've got them wearing or playing on a different court than they normally do. They're flashier. They're gaudier. And it's probably as much to create new tradition with, frankly, fans younger than me. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm giving them benefit of the doubt, and here's why. I was a skeptic about the play-in tournament. I right. thought, well, that's junking things up. You're getting two more teams that are allegedly in the mix for playoffs. It's going to muddy everything. And I've been won over by that. I've been won mm-hmm. over by that for several reasons. One is that it does seem to lessen the talk about tanking. Now you've got, you've got ten teams uh, that have an opportunity to do something after the regular season ends, and, and, and probably a couple more in each conference that might be able to grab one of those play-in spots. Yeah. So there's less focus on on tanking. I do believe maybe the worst two, three, four teams in in the entire league, but it shut that up. It also, in my view, right before you get into the first round, which is usually the most imbalanced round. Right, you've got mm-hmm. one playing eight and two playing seven, and it's a best of seven, and rarely do we see upsets. But right before that, you get several one-and-done situations, which adds some urgency that you're not going to feel again yeah. until you get deep into a, a uh, you know, a, a competitive best-of-seven series. So it adds that too, and and I, I, I've been won over by that. We saw Miami climb all the way from playing to mm-hmm. um, the finals. Yeah. Now they were a seventh seed if you just go on with the traditional way of, of setting up the playoffs. Nonetheless. They were within three minutes of losing in a play-in to the Chicago Bulls. They rallied, and then they kept going. And so, you know, I just think that there's – that, in my opinion, has worked out for the league. And so I'm going to reserve judgment on this until I see the whole thing play out at least once and go from there.
0: And one last one for Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. So far in the early going, just a couple of weeks in here, Boston, the lone undefeated team in the NBA. Are the Celtics right there as far as who you think, you know, top tier, obviously a top tier team? Who else do you put in that category with Boston right now?
2: Well, in the Eastern Conference, I don't put anybody. Everybody talked because of the Damian Lillard trade. That it was going to be a top-heavy two-team uh, mm-hmm. uh, battle in the East, and I've seen Milwaukee several times now, mm-hmm. and it's it, they're flawed. They they have they have traded uh, elite defense for what they hope is a far better offense with Damian Lillard, and uh, I'm not sure that's going to work out for them, even during the regular season, but once you get into the playoffs, mm-hmm. you're just going to be able to outscore somebody. That hasn't been a path to success uh, for NBA championships. I think Boston is definitely a level ahead of the mm-hmm. Milwaukee Bucks, and then I think it starts to fall off even from the Bucks with you know Philadelphia, and depending on what Miami can muster and anybody else um, out east, in the West, I mean, I still like uh, Denver defending champions i, I i'm going to I'm going to give them bonus points for that, even though I think they will end up missing Bruce Brown mm-hmm. um, Phoenix with its firepower again, they could end up in a situation kind of like Milwaukee where either you outscore somebody or um, you get outscored because you 're just not capable of defending and um, you know, Golden State to me has been a big surprise. They seem to have that that championship type DNA, and uh, they've been able to uh, have a much better start than than people probably expected and and projected for the whole season. So, you know, we'll see about that. The Lakers, I don't know, they're very up and down, and I don't know how to really trust what they do in the regular season anyway. I expect both LeBron and Anthony Davis to miss 20-25 games each, and I guess we'll see if they're able to sort of capture it again uh, late late in the uh, season and into the spring like they did last year.
0: You know, Steve, your, your expl- explanation and analogy of Milwaukee and Phoenix, for that matter, is basically dead on to our hockey team right here, the Edmonton Oilers. You're basically, in a nutshell, that's, how you, that's how you described our, our hockey team uh, with a basketball analogy.
2: Well, that's interesting to know. I did it unwittingly, I must say.
0: Well, thanks for coming on, Steve. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Enjoy the uh, next little bit of the NBA season. Thanks for coming on. You're entirely welcome. That's Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. When we come back, we will get to some more of your texts at 1-833-401-1440. Still lots pouring in regarding the Oilers' situation moving forward. In Vancouver tonight, to take on the 8-2-1 and Canucks, the Oilers 2-7-1. And we'll also check in with the Duke and decide what was going on on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The big, big weekend for the Duke. That's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Welcome back to the big program for the home stretch here. Kevin Carey's show on Sports 1440. Thanks for being with us this morning. Been a jam back show again on Monday. And, of course, a lot of texts coming in. Send uh, a little note if you want to comment on the Oilers game tonight. Uh, 1-833-401-1440. How will the Oilers do tonight in Vancouver? Will they win? Will they win? Can they beat the Canucks and get off the proverbial schneid? The Duke of Delburn Brandon Douglas. Did you enjoy NFL yesterday, Duke? Anything I mean, you must have been just ecstatic with your Texans. CJ Stroud had a monster game. That was pretty to watch. I mean, he looks he looked composed.
3: Yeah. He looked good. To me, that was the game of the day yesterday. It mm-hmm. was it was back and forth and um the uh, the only thing you and I were talking about this, I sent a tweet about it. Like the the Texans were two and a half point favorites, <laughs> oh, but the no. uh, Kymie Fairbairn injured a hamstring thing early in the game. My confusion here. So they didn't kick any more extra points. They they went for two point converts on fourth downs if they were close. They just went for it. Couple big conversions. All in all, they it's a huge team win because included in all this was their like third string running back mm-hmm. kicking a field goal for them to score three points. Well, here's my question now and this is coming from a sour taste of my <laughs> mouth the fact that I lost the bet because uh, they only win by two they just kneel out the final touchdown instead of uh going for two again or kicking the extra point if if you're trusting this guy to kick a field goal why not just have him kick the extra point let me ask you this Duke
0: if you would have had the other way around and bet on you know the spread was two and a half right yeah so now if you're Tampa Bay, you like this.
3: Well, here's, and this is this is the the age-old adage that every bad beat, which this definitely was, has another <laughs> side, is is a backdoor cover, right? And so that's what this was for anybody uh, on the Buccaneers plus two and a half. This is as greasy of a backdoor cover as you're going to come across, whereas people on our side of the table, uh, this is as bad of a beat can get. But uh, otherwise, a couple takeaways, we, we touched on it really briefly earlier, the Dolphins um, kind of, not looking like themselves Devon achan I think is available to come back starting next week I, I haven't checked in on the actual status of that injury if he's going to come off after his required stay on the IR like Moster looks great, so I don't really think it's a running game problem. Uh Waddle got hurt, of course, but it to me this game was a 2 a of by Loa problem. He he looked far from as crisp as he has in other games this season. Took to blame too. But at the end of it, this Chiefs' defense is really good. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's something that most people, myself included, expected coming into the season. I was skeptical of the Chiefs because I didn't think their defense would be A this good. And my other concern is one that's actually held true, the uh, the lack of ability at the wide receiver position. So the fact that the defense has been good enough to make up for this and Patrick Mahomes kind of bringing some of these receivers along, mm-hmm. it's, it's allowed that process to flesh out and not be quite as much under the spotlight because they're still winning games and they're still the class of the AFC uh, despite once again kind of coming with a whole new look wide receiver core. But their defense is lights out. So the, the Dolphins got question marks. The Cowboys lose to division rival Eagles, who now remain uh, at the top of the NFC alone. Other than that, there was a couple wishy-washy games. Some of the matchups sure didn't jump out at you. How can you not appreciate what Les. Josh Dobbs did? Oh, couple, couple great. Never heard lines. anything.
0: Never heard anything from Playbook Vic today. Uh, no, he, he texted in oh, about yeah, Lorentz. Sure he did, but nothing about the playbook, Vic. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's true.
0: That's I was, true. I was expecting to see something from Playbook Vic. Yeah. Text coming in to 1-8-3-3-4-0-1-14-40. JCD says Oilers will lose 5 3 tonight in Vancouver. Wally, Walter, I expect another L. Coach Al. Oilers win five four, get the mojo back. But also says Oilers lost size, toughness, experience. That's what's wrong with the team right now. No mojo. No grit. You think they win tonight, Duke?
3: this is a tough question I I I don't have a crystal ball and and I think under the circumstances and of course you can say this with ease that coming into the start of the year the Oilers were expected to be a much better team they've shown thus far but I don't think anybody really quite anticipated this from the Vancouver Canucks they sit alone in second place in the division uh, a few points back of the seemingly dominant Vegas Golden Knights, except yesterday. Go uh, Ducks. <laughs> go, go Ducks. Come on. Um, but, but no, Vancouver is looking like a really good team. and they're playing and that, hard. Thatcher Demko returned to form. Your pick for the Norris Trophy, Quinn Hughes, is mm-hmm. absolutely torching the league. Pedersen, Besser. Like, they're getting contributions up and down. Yeah. And just like you said, they, they're playing hard.
0: After that first game, it was 8-1. I can't remember the texter's name. Sent in the text said, they play like their coach played and rick Tockett again i think it was a different texter that said the canucks have the the coach of the canucks has the affordability to basically he can go to every player on that team and say i kind of played your style of game you could you know elias peterson goal scorer Rick Tockett scored 40 goals, mm-hmm. okay? He can go to whoever it is, Tyler Myers, and say, you know what, I mucked it up pretty good. I had, you know, two, 300 pims one year, da da da, da. He can relate to everyone on that team. Gordon D says, Kevin, Oilers will win 5-2. Tonight, people will be happy in the city. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Can you imagine? So, again, tomorrow, if the Oilers were to lose tonight, it's going to be crazy tomorrow morning again. It was pretty – today, and this was two days after, Today. You know, normally you think there's a little bit of an easing out period, a little bit of time where, okay, that's 48 hours since, you know, they they played. It was venom today. People were mad. And then, as you said, what happens on Thursday? Holy Mm -hmm. cow. I don't know what San Jose schedule. They got to play here. They
3: have a game uh, against Philadelphia tomorrow, which uh, Philly kind of coming back down to earth here a little bit after a good start uh, looking, I would say, more like the team. Probably people expected them. Uh, two, they're they're five, six, and one right now. So mm-hmm. uh, no, they're they're not lighting the world on fire, but they could beat Philadelphia. The Sharks could. <laughs> Would it take uh, another uh, hero but, effort by their goaltender, which they have in their only overtime loss? Maybe. But twelve goals in eleven games—that's that, that's crazy. That well, you hey, have. Here is a question: What's crazier—only scoring twelve goals in eleven games, or giving or up, giving up ten goals in back-to-back games?
0: Their goal differential is minus forty-three. Again, that's a season you can have you can go a season, and that's but this is in the first three weeks it's it's amazing that the fact that they have even got the one point <laughs> they could they could technically have a donuts on the board. Kevlar asks, would Brent Sutter coach in the n h l again boy, the sutter sure it's almost like you, they're like the Terminator guy, right? They, they just can't back. get they can't get rid of him, right? Everyone talks still. Everyone still talks about Brian Center. For <laughs> like I mean, Brian was coaching Bentley last. The Bentley Generals. Um, not Fred. Don't worry, boys. If we get behind a goal or two tonight, our third line will go out there and change the pace of the game with hellacious hits and a strong forecheck. Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway to the ref- rescue. Hey, here it is.
3: Oh, Victor! Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, you call a guy out enough, he he can't just sit there and take it. He's got to <laughs> back himself up.
0: Victor, playbook Vic comes in. Sorry to let you down, KK. Joshua Dobbs learned my Vikings playbook inside out in four days. They're going to win the Super Bowl now. Ha, ha, ha.
3: Uh, but the funny thing is, Kevin, uh, I was reading this... Um Uh, piece uh, about the Vikings after the game and Kevin O'Connell in the dressing Mm -hmm. room uh, had to say this about Josh Dobbs that it was one of the most impressive things he's ever seen Uh, basically Dobbs going into the huddle and like translating plays and kind of changing routes around all in huddle types mm-hmm. of and this was a close game and uh, he had to come in um, called into duty not even the starter which <laughs> that's what Baker Mayfield did last season when he landed in LA he at least knew he was going to be starting yeah. uh, that weekend if my memory serves me correctly Josh Dobbs did not have that luxury I'm sure he knew there was a possibility that with a rookie QB in there he if things got really ugly he might have to come in and mop up duty but like I said Do you- this guy is a literal genius. He is an aerospace guy, yeah. engineer. Is what he took in college. So, should we be surprised by this? I certainly think so. <laughs> NFL playbooks are like overwhelmingly comprehensive and get complicated. it, totally
0: get it. And I, we, we were making, we're having some fun with, 100%. with Vic for sure,
3: a hundred percent. But, uh, but like, like I that that's the one storyline that even though the game wasn't super exciting because i'm not in love like i had high hopes of vikings but mm-hmm. right now how can you be in love with the moving forward the falcons taylor heineke still not the answer after swapping over desmond Erick. that game didn't excite me i pretty much had my eyes glued to texans and bucks uh, and flipping around a few other ones too but you you cannot not double negative cannot not be impressed by what josh dobbs uh, pulled off this sunday
0: Text coming in, 1-833-401-1440. Kyle from Millwood says, Johnny Hockey was benched for most of the third period. The excuse that Oilers play short and can't bench players is a sad excuse. Stop being your player's friend and be their coach. They either win 6-0 or they lose. (laughs) Guy on a forklift. Coach Al says, Oilers have, had, have Kane and Darnell. Holland will cost Jay his job. Golden Bears football. Beat the U of S Huskies again. Advanced to their 86th annual Hardy Cup. Yes, sir. Games at UBC on Saturday. We had uh, Golden Bears quarterback, Eli Hetlinger, on earlier in the program. Smart guy
3: again. Yeah, very, very. Just well like spoke. Josh Dobbs, right? Well, These are yeah. smart guys. Duke. I was surprised when he said he was taking kinesiology. That's that's not an easy program I mean, at I, the U of A of all places. You so. know,
0: and again, we've talked to Chris Morse about this, and all the other coaches at U of A, and even when McEwen coaches come on, it's tough to do this when you're a student athlete, in the sense that you, and even Eli said, you know, he he pairs down his his course load, his management. Mm-hmm. Right? He was taking in the off season of football so whatever second, second semester, semester he's taking five court five classes and during football he takes three mm-hmm. you know so again smart prioritize do what you can oh kevlar he doesn't want us to talk football he's gonna <laughs> enough football already i'm gonna lose my mind if the orders lose tonight lol
3: join the club <laughs>
0: yeah you're not <laughs> you, the only you, one you
3: and uh Eighty thousand other Oilers fans here in the capital region,
0: and I mean, again, the text just it's just nonstop. And Lorianne's trying to create some positivity. It's hard, though. Uh, we've seen it. I mean, I I didn't. I guess I knew that I've been around in a long time, and so I've seen it firsthand. I've seen you know people just even phoning me at Global for twenty five years and not being happy with the direction and results. Think about it, like man. How about Ben Scrivens that year when Scrivens was here and people are the fans are throwing jerseys on the ice and Scrivens is going picking these jerseys up and going crazy in post game con- I mean they had Dallas Aikens Craig McTavish and Todd Nelson all coaching in one season that's just the head coaches they brought in Rocky Thompson as well Craig Ramsey was even an assistant coach back then holy man that was tough that was a tough couple of years very tough and and the difference now this year Duke just one simple thing all the expectations started at the beginning of the year expectations about being a cup contender back then no one even it wasn't even on the radar they were just trying to win a game or two now it's different
3: yeah well with with um with expectations Comes disappointment mm-hmm. when, when those expectations aren't met. You go back to the Oilers during the uh, the much maligned decade of darkness, and and Oilers fans were just happy to get like a big win against a rival team or something. That's not the case anymore. This is a team that we've said it with almost every hockey guest we've had on today. They entered the season as the odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup, one of the top five teams, one of, one of the top five. And if you went like that's actually just from odds makers. If you yeah. went to experts and analysts, predictions. I believe they were the most chosen team from across the million different networks. Or you even can tune just into. To,
0: even just to get to the final,
3: right? You know. So with that, it is natural that I think the letdown, unless they started with a Vegas or Boston type start, I think no matter what, we might be a little bit disappointed. But the bigger issue at hand is the way they've gone about this start, where mm-hmm. the things being put into question aren't. Um, and some <laughs> we've had some people say, "Oh, it is a little bit of bad puck luck and whatever," but. It it's comes down to the goaltending has not been good enough. The defensive structure is a disaster. And your inability to score and, like, bury chances. The whole, ooh, they got goalied. They lost game back-to-back games to backup goaltenders. Yes. And Kevin Lankanen, um and Scott Wedgwood are not 1A goaltenders. They are backup goaltenders. Hmm.
0: Well, well, it'll be an interesting morning tomorrow if they lose. <laughs> if they, We'll have to come in early again with just to sort out the text. Thanks for everybody coming on today. Uh, welcoming, welcoming back our co-host, Laurieann Munzer, after her European vacation. Derek Van Deest from com was in the 7 o'clock hour. We had Mark Spector on the mark every day at 8 o'clock for Booster Juice. Matt Larkin, our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. Fernando Pisani, great to talk to Fernando Pisani about Oh, you know the the great playoff run that he had. He elevated his game for Ram lifts for sure in two thousand and six. Eli Hetlinger, uh, Golden Bears quarterback. Eli in a zone, no zone. A uh, newsday covering the Jets and Steve Ashburner, Ben Scrivens for uh, our ten o'clock hour. Thanks everybody for coming on. Appreciated. Coming up at the top of the hour is
3: Fantasy Frenzy with former Roshep T Bird,
0: Connor Alley, and the Duke of Delburn Brandon Douglas. Twelve o'clock. The Lowdown with Alan Mitchell till 2 o'clock and Jason Greger takes us home here on Sports 1440 with the Jason Greger Show. Top of the hour. It's Fantasy Frenzy. Thanks so much for listening this morning. Thanks for being a part of our conversation, sending in the dozens and hundreds and hundreds of texts Uh, that we'll we'll probably get more than that tomorrow if the Oilers lose. Thanks again for everybody for listening. We'll see you back here in the morning. Tomorrow, Grant Fuhrer will be our co-host. And we got Kelly Chase coming on with Grant, former teammate with the St. Louis Blues. The Duke and Halley, fantasy frenzy, top of the hour. Before that, here's a Sports 1440 update with the Duke. Have a great day, everyone.